Welcome to the Innovation and Compliance Podcast, part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Join us every week as we talk with industry innovators who are making compliance to help business run more efficiently and at the end of the day, more profitably. Here's your host, Tom Fox. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for another episode. And today you're in for a real treat because I have Jen McIntyre. She is the Director Financial Crime Compliance Strategy at LexisNexis. And we're going to visit generally about anti-money laundering programs, an excellent report uh, the company has recently released, and how really all of that applies to non-financial institutions and non-financial service corporations, i.e. regular commercial corporations. So, Jen, with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, thank you for taking time to visit with me today and welcome. Thank you. No, I'm excited to be with you. So I was wondering if you might be able to just start by telling us a little bit about what's your role as the Director of Financial Crime Compliance Strategies for LexisNexis. Yeah, so for those that don't know or aren't familiar with what LexisNexis Risk Solutions does, we provide our customers with solutions that combine big data. We have big data resources, and we use advanced technology and advanced analytics to help them comply with regulations, evaluate and predict risk, and enhance operational efficiency. So that's the company in a nutshell. In my role specifically, I focus on ensuring that we're providing innovative solutions that help our customers comply with the always evolving anti-money laundering regulations. So what I do is act as the subject matter expert and keep up with regulatory changes, best practices, customer needs, so that we can create solutions using our old and coming up with new to solve our customers' challenges. So, Jen, I think while most financial institutions and financial service organizations are certainly well-versed in AML risk management, I find commercial corporations and commercial companies are less so. Where would you suggest a commercial company begin to assess its money laundering risk? Yeah, so this is actually really interesting and something But I've observed in the industry recently, so like you mentioned, financial services, that whole industry, banking, they really understand how to comply with an anti-money laundering regulation. And as a result, regulators have actually started to say, okay, you know, we want to work with all of you banks to make your processes not only more efficient, more cost effective, but more effective at catching bad guys. So regulators are starting to take this approach of instead of being like super strict on, you know, dotting your I's and crossing your T's and not that they've stopped doing that, but the banks are so good at it. Now they're looking at like evolving into a more efficient and effective model. But as a result, like for example, sanction screening, right? The regulators have an opportunity to start looking at commercial corporations, like actual companies in the commercial space to say, okay, what are you doing in regards to like OFAC? And are you screening against watch list? And are you looking at sanctions? And those are traditionally spaces where there has not been a specific requirement. And to go back a step, I'm sure you and the listeners know very few commercial companies actually have an AML regulatory legal requirement. Some do. So like U.S. title insurance companies, for example, they're a good example. They have the FinCEN's geographic targeting orders that they have to comply with to detect and report suspicious activity. But for the most part, a commercial company does not. 
But that doesn't mean there aren't many things that a company should do to assess their risk, right? So if I were to work in a corporation, the things that I would look at are really three things. I would start with my money laundering risk. So not my anti-money laundering compliance risk, but is my corporation susceptible to being used for money laundering, right? So I'll come back to that in a second. And then I'd also look at sanctions risk and then my anti-bribery and corruption risk. But something to think about, and feel free to stop me and ask me any questions throughout this, but money laundering risk, for example. If I were to begin to assess my risk, I would look at my internal controls and policies. So just one example, do I have policies that exist that might allow for irregular payments or refunds? So if I'm a company that sells high-value items, do I have controls in place that require refunds or overpayments to go directly to the person that purchased it in the first place, or can I direct that payment to someone else? So that's actually a method that has been used by laundering organizations. So really, it's about stepping back and saying, what are my policies around payments and invoicing and refunds? And how can I be used as a vehicle for money laundering and looking at it through that lens? So that's where I would start for money laundering. If we turn to sanctions risk, and even with anti-bribery and corruption risk, it all starts with a risk assessment, right? So if I were to start and I didn't have any of these things in place, or maybe I do have some controls in place, I would really start with a risk assessment and say, okay, what's my inherent risk, perceived residual risk around sanction screening, right? And then same thing with anti-bribery and corruption, doing that enterprise risk assessment, much like AML or sanctions, but looking internally and externally for controls and the industry location, spend, all of those things that you would look at to recognize what do I have? What controls do I have and what gaps exist and how can I close those gaps? But it's really looking at your business from like a whole different lens, right? You're looking at it specifically from the money laundering, watch list screening, sanction screening, and anti-bribery and corruption. So, Jen, one of the reasons I was so intrigued by this topic and, frankly, why I wanted to visit with you on this podcast is two of the most recent FCPA enforcement actions involved customers and billing irregularities. How does a company begin to think through either a corruption or a money laundering risk from a customer? Yeah, so I think it all starts with good data. And some companies, right, have really good data about their customers. They're complex organizations, much like banks, they have an opportunity to know their customer and to perform due diligence. Who are they? What is expected activity for that customer? Where do they operate? You know, what kind of transactions are normal for them? What geographic locations do they do business? Now there's other multinational like global organizations that may have really bad data, right? There's many online companies that ship goods all over the world and they don't necessarily even know their customer's name, right? So there's a balance in what type of customer do you have and what kind of good data can I get? If you have good data, doing due diligence is a way to manage your risk. 
doing that, you know, know your customer process that the banks do with their customers. For those that maybe don't have the best data, and this applies to both scenarios, but having regular internal audits to look for billing and invoice anomalies, right, irregularities. All of the two enforcement actions you mentioned were billing and irregularities that were called out. So almost essentially equating what the banks do for transaction monitoring and translating that over to be transaction monitoring for corporations, if you will. So even if a company has great data, Jen, one of my observations has been the information is often siloed. So compliance may have a set of information. They may have information on third parties. They may have information on uh, others in the sales cycle. Accounts payable may have information on the customer. Finance may have information on where the money is actually being paid to. So how would you suggest a customer or a client actually begin to break through those silos so that there can be a sharing of information and hopefully a management of multiple risks a company's facing? Uh, that's a tough one because I would say the banks struggle with that as well. There really has to be a willingness and a recognition of the value of doing so to the organization. So the compliance people really need to be able to communicate throughout the organization, not only what the risks are, but what the risks of noncompliance are, and what are you going to gain by sharing the information. I've sat with many customers and seen the corporate structure different for all, right? Compliance can sometimes sit within finance. Sometimes it sits within operations. Like, sometimes... The silos are different depending on where you're at. And it's really just selling the value of what those compliance people are doing and a willingness and tone from the top and tone from the bottom to try to better communicate. I mean, it really is a struggle everywhere. Another issue that certainly many compliance officers struggle with, and as they take on more work, including economic sanctions with this administration and the almost daily changing of sanctions, What's the best way for a compliance officer, no matter where they sit, to keep up with that type of evolving structure? I think there's two different ways. One is research. You know, part of a compliance officer's job really is to research. So reading the news, attending conference sessions, webinars, podcasts like this one, staying up to date. If there's user conferences they can attend for any systems they might use. So research, but then I think the other piece is good partners. So if they are leveraging any kind of vendor and helping them with compliance, making sure that they pick a vendor that has roles assigned very much like LexisNexis Risk Solutions has, right? We have subject matter experts in all these areas where I spend my day drilling down into sanctions compliance. And we have people dedicated to anti-bribery and corruption and ensuring that we know what's going on, not only so our solutions can help meet the needs of our customers, but so that we can educate our customers on what those regulations are. So having good partners and just researching. So Jen, I would actually like to change the focus a little bit because LexisNexis just released a report entitled The True Cost of AML Compliance, a United States Snapshot. And you really had a lot of detailed findings in there that I found fascinating. But I was wondering if you might be able to take a few minutes just to review some of the key findings and what you think it might mean for uh, AML compliance going forward. Yeah, no, this was a really exciting study. 
The whole purpose was to help financial institutions understand their industry compliance burdens and expenditures and help them identify ways to achieve a more cost-effective and efficient AML compliance strategy. So by talking to small, medium, and large-sized financial institutions, we really got a feel for what's normal and you know, ways to improve. So ultimately, there were four key findings that came out of the study. One, the cost of AML compliance has risen significantly during the past 24 months. That's the first one. I don't think that is unexpected, but the all-in number that we came up with was that for U.S. financial services firms, the number came out to be $25.3 billion. That was split about down the middle between small institutions and then mid-size and large institutions. One of the interesting things about that, if you break down into that finding even more, is that while large financial institutions have a much higher annual cost of compliance to the tune of $14 million a year compared to maybe a small institution who's spending a million a year, but the percentage of total assets is much, much higher for the small institutions. So moral of the story is large institutions are far more efficient in how they're approaching this problem. The second key finding, so in addition to rising costs, AML compliance negatively impacts operations, business growth, and the customer experience. Smaller financial firms feel somewhat more pain from this. So we really think and have found that large financial institutions are leveraging technology in a way that's creating efficiencies. So their due diligence is typically faster. They conduct due diligence on businesses much faster. So all of that time that it takes to research and onboard a customer, they're slightly better at it than the smaller firms who are actually losing customers and have opportunity costs associated with compliance. The third finding, financial institutions that are using compliance technology and enhanced data sets are able to minimize the negative impacts of AML compliance requirements. So I've kind of touched on that already. Technology is your friend. Obviously, the investment needs to be worth it, and you need to get your return on investment, which is why a lot of the smaller institutions don't take advantage of it, and they just keep tackling the problem with more people. And the last one is a layered approach to AML technology is crucial to facilitating a more cost-effective, efficient compliance approach. So really, that one is talking more about technology, but people aren't going away in this process, right? It does take sometimes that manual human review to be able to determine the risk of a customer and execute all of these processes. But ultimately, it ended up being really, I don't think anything unexpected, but a nice confirmation of where the market is heading, and it's towards adoption of technology and that desire to become more efficient in the compliance operations program. So, Jen, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, but before we ended, I wanted to ask if any of our listeners wanted additional information on either the report or from yourself, how could they do so? Yeah, so I think there's two ways. If they go to the LexisNexis Risk Solutions website, which is risk, 
www.lexisnexus.com and they can go to the contact us link and just fill out the little form there. I mean, they could even probably route it directly to me if they threw my name in there. And then I'll, through my LinkedIn profile, Jennifer McIntyre, LexisNexus Risk Solutions, you know, could send me a message, either one of those ways. Well, Jen, I want to do a thank you. This is I've been visiting today with Jen McIntyre, the Director of Financial Crime Compliance Strategy at LexisNexus. It's really been a fascinating exploration on not only what LexisNexus has come up with in terms of where financial institutions and financial services companies are with their AML solutions, but really how it applies, how these same techniques, strategies, and tools apply to commercial companies as well. Jen, thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. If you're a compliance professional looking for a convenient and effective way to fulfill your continuing education requirements, go to fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses and choose from four hour-long training packages that will keep you current. That's fcpacompliancereport.com slash courses.